Hey, Christ community, so glad uh, you are joining us today. I'm thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey with Jesus. Uh, speaking of our journey with Jesus, we're, we're having an opportunity next weekend for baptism in our in-person services. So if you are a follower of Jesus, but maybe you recently committed your life to him, but you've never been baptized as a believer in Jesus, I urge you to do so. Not only does Jesus command us to do this, it is also a significant step in your life with Christ. So there's more information on our app or a newsletter about that, an upcoming orientation that you need to attend. So we are in the midst of a teaching series entitled Kingdom Culture. In this series, we're walking through a sermon Jesus gave known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in the book of Matthew, beginning in chapter 5. In this sermon, Jesus is describing for us what it looks like to live according to his kingdom rather than the kingdom of this world. And what we've been discovering is that living according to Jesus' kingdom is radically different than the kingdom of this world. Whereas the kingdom of this world is all about advancing our own agenda— In the kingdom of Jesus, we leverage our influence in order to elevate and bless other people. It's a kingdom where mercy and gentleness are embraced, where peaceful relationships and righteousness are pursued. At its essence, it's a life in which Jesus is our king and we are following him, living according to his values. Okay, well, today we come to one of the most challenging values of this kingdom. Look with me at Matthew 5, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Now, I'm guessing that this section of scripture is not underlined in your Bible as being one of your favorite passages. It's certainly not underlined in mine. This is a passage that all of us would prefer to skip over because it's talking about persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their faith in Jesus, which right off the bat raises all sorts of questions to wrestle with. For instance, what is persecution anyway? Do we even experience persecution in our country? And then there is this question of how could persecution possibly be a blessing? Okay, so there's a a lot of stuff to wrestle with. And my prayer is that this message helps start the conversation. I don't have all the answers. This is not a topic Christians in America talk about very often, but it's Bible. Okay, so let's dive in. First question we need to look at is this this question of what exactly is persecution? The word translated persecute literally means to press, and it can actually be used positively. Like when Paul says, I press on toward the goal in Philippians 3. That's the same word, but it can also be used negatively, which is how it's used here. When people press against us, when they move against us because of our faith in Christ. Now, there are, there are many ways this persecution can happen. The most extreme is what is happening right now to 340 million Christians around the world who live in countries where Christianity is basically outlawed. 
and where their governments are actively working against the lives of believers in Jesus. This includes places like China, where churches are regularly shut down. Places like North Korea, where it is estimated that 70,000 Christians are in concentration camps. Over 4,000 churches were attacked this past year around the world. Nearly 5,000 Christians were murdered for the, their faith this past year. That's like one person, one Christ follower every two hours. This is reality for millions of believers in Jesus around the world, including many of our friends and partners in the Middle East. These believers need our prayers. Now, for us in America, these examples feel light years away from our reality. And, and we can be grateful for that, for the value of religious liberty in our nation. But that doesn't mean that we also are not vulnerable to forms of persecution. See, notice how in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Jesus describes persecution. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, according to Jesus, persecution also involves insults and false accusations spoken against us. In fact, this is often where persecution starts with people ostracizing Christ followers, falsely accusing them of all kinds of evil. Not that long ago, this would have really been unheard of in our country, but it's becoming more and more commonplace. There is a growing negative posture toward Christianity in our culture. Many people feel a disdain towards anyone who claims to follow Christ. I think of the recent Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, a highly qualified woman of impeccable character. And yet there were senators who didn't feel like she should be on the Supreme Court, not because of her legal qualifications, but simply because she is a Christian. We are seeing more and more examples of Christian organizations getting kicked off college campuses simply because their moral views don't fit with the prevailing view of our culture. Our society is increasingly moving in this direction where anyone holding to biblical moral values, especially in the area of sexuality, is often labeled a hate-filled bigot who needs to be canceled or ridiculed or removed from places of influence. Now, th this could mean losing jobs, losing our jobs. It could be, mean being passed over for a promotion. This could mean being socially sidelined at work. See, according to Jesus, this is also persecution. It's, it's when we're slandered and ridiculed because of our faith in Jesus and our desire to align our lives with his word. Honestly, I'm seeing a day not too far from now, not, you know, not too long from now, where a sermon on the biblical view of sexuality will be considered hate speech. I mean, that's where things are trending. Now, before we go any further, let me clarify something really important. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted for being rude and obnoxious. Blessed are those who are persecuted for their hateful attitudes towards other human beings they disagree with. See, some Christians may claim 
that they're being persecuted for Jesus, but the reality is they're simply experiencing the fallout of being a jerk. Jesus doesn't offer a blessing for being a jerk. No, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. What does righteousness look like? It looks like the other Beatitudes, being merciful, being gentle, being pure in heart, being peacemakers. It looks like the rest of this Sermon on the Mount where humility and sexual purity and forgiveness are all embraced. This is what righteousness looks like. It looks like Jesus, who is both holy and loving at the same time. Jesus is saying, when you live your life according to God's values, don't be surprised if you're persecuted for what you believe and how you live. This is a normal part of following Jesus. Okay, so we've talked about what persecution looks like, but now I, wanna, I want us to wrestle with a much more difficult question. How are we as Christ followers supposed to respond when we experience persecution in, 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 in various forms? This is the critical question that is so relevant for us today, whether we're currently experiencing persecution at work or school or whatever, or we're just maybe seeing the way things are trending in our nation and we're realizing this is probably going to happen sooner than later. Either way, we need to be ready, right? We, we, we need to have thought this through before it happens so that we can respond in a way that would honor Jesus. Okay, so what do we do when we are ostracized for our faith, when we are increasingly marginalized for believing in Jesus? What do we do when we're falsely accused and labeled as being a hate-filled person just because we're following Jesus' teaching? Uh, and by the way, sometimes the persecution we experience is from religious people. This is actually, that's, this is who persecuted Jesus. <laughs> it was religious people who didn't like Jesus hanging around with sinners. So some of you have experienced this kind of persecution where you stood up in your church maybe against legalism and you got booted from the church as a rebel, right? So however the persecution happens, again, the question is, how are we to respond? And what I see a lot of Christians doing today as they see these things happening in our nation, a lot of Christians are getting angry, frustrated, despondent, fearful. They're freaking out. They're discouraged. They are not living in the reality of the blessing. That's the language Jesus used. Blessed are those who are persecuted. They're not living in the reality of the blessing that Jesus promises here. Okay, so why is that? I think it's because we easily lose sight of who we are suffering for. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 11, look at this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me. In other words, it's not about us. It's not about our comfort, our preferences. It's about Jesus. This is the first and foundational response for us when or if we experience persecution. Stay focused on Jesus. 
Stay focused on Jesus. He is our first love. He is our life. He is our Lord. Our allegiance is given to him alone. You see, when that issue is settled in our heart, it completely changes our perspective. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, who are sentenced to be thrown into the fiery furnace because of their unwillingness to bow down to a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. Are they fearful? Are they angry? Are they frustrated? Well, you tell me. Here's their response. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They are not fearful. They're not angry. They're actually respectful. They keep calling King Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty. They, they exude a sense of calm confidence. You see, when, when we have settled in our heart who is ultimately our king, we can face persecution with that same calm confidence. I love how Oswald Chambers says it. He writes this. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. To fear God is to put our ultimate allegiance and trust in him. When you do that, what else is there to fear? But, but, but if you and I put our trust in comfort, or in our political leaders, or who's on the Supreme, and who's on the Supreme Court, or in our finances, we will be on a roller coaster of fear because we're trusting in things that are not worthy of our trust. So one of the most foundational things we need to do in the midst of a culture that increasingly views Christianity with hostility, one of the most important things we need to do is to keep our heart and mind and life focused on Jesus, to keep stoking our love for him and our passion for him. Let, let's be in his word so that his truth is increasingly alive in our hearts. Let's spend time in prayer and worship so that his spirit is moving in us. Let's regularly gather with believers and encourage one another. Let's practice Sabbath and spend one day a week enjoying rest and God's blessings and taking time to reflect upon Jesus and letting our soul be restored in him. In other words, let's give priority to spending time focusing on Jesus, cultivating our love for him. Now, at one level, there's nothing really profound in what I just said, except when we actually compare that to how many Christians are living right now. What I find happening with a lot of Christians is that we're spending a great deal of time looking at politically charged television shows and websites and YouTube videos that stir up anger and fear in our hearts. See, whatever we are most frequently pouring into our mind and heart is the thing that is going to shape us the most and shape how we respond to others. 
part of the problem with our immediate access to the internet and social media, part of the problem is that rather than simply being informed about what's going on, that's important. We need to be informed. But rather than that, we can instead become obsessed with these things, spending hours and hours looking at this stuff so that the fiery furnace of anger and fear are now burning inside of us, destroying us from within. Maybe this is naive of me, but I really think of all the people on earth, we as Christ followers should be the ones who are not living in fear and anger. We should be the ones who exude a quiet confidence and courage no matter what is happening around us because we fear God. We trust in him. We are passionately loving Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Friends, in, in a culture like ours that is becoming increasingly difficult to follow Christ, we need to stay focused on Jesus. We've got to stay focused on Jesus. We, we need to cultivate practices that stir our love for him and our trust in him. I mean, friends, the enemy is having a heyday right now, getting Christ followers distracted from what really matters. Okay, well, that, that's, that leads to the second response to, to persecution. Second response, keep loving Keep loving. Jesus makes an amazing statement a little later in the Sermon on the Mount, in, uh, a little later in the same chapter, chapter 5. L look at this, beginning in verse 43. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We are to continue loving the people who are persecuting us. And this is crazy, but it's what Jesus says. In fact, it's not only what he said, it's how he lived. Remember, as they were nailing him to a cross, what did he do? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He was still loving his enemies, even as they were nailing him to a cross, he was praying for them. Jesus says, that's how I want you to treat those who persecute you. This is a mark of a follower of, of, a, of a child of God, he says, of a follower of Jesus. Keep loving them. This is how I want you to live. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Now, look, I don't know about you, but I I find it really difficult to hate someone when I'm praying for them. What would happen if we spent more time praying for the people who are opposed to our faith than we spent time complaining about them? The more our society opposes our Christian faith, the more vulnerable we are to letting hate and anger and bitterness fill our hearts. And Jesus is saying, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Let my love fill your heart so that you can choose to keep loving people who are persecuting you. Now, look, I realize this is incredibly difficult, but no one said following Jesus was going to be easy. 
No one said it's going to be easy. This is what Jesus, our King, calls us to do as his followers. We are to love those who persecute us. We are to pray for those who persecute us. Okay, so how do we find the ability to do this? Well, this leads to a third response we're to have when we experience persecution. Look for God's resources. Look for God's resources. Remember the promise Jesus makes in this verse, in this beatitude we're looking at? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by that? He means that all of the resources of heaven are available to us when we are experiencing persecution. So for instance, a little later in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about how his followers are going to be flogged and they're going to be brought before the authorities. Look at what Jesus says. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This is powerful. Jesus is saying that when we experience persecution, all of the resources of heaven are at our disposal. You need words. You need to know what to say in that moment. The Holy Spirit will give those words to you. He will give you the words that you need to say. But it's not just words that he can give us. Check out what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. There's that word again. You're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is amazing. Peter is saying, hey, when you lose a promotion because of your faith, when you lose a friendship because of your faith, when, when, when your boyfriend breaks up with you because of your faith, when churches lose their tax-exempt status or certain freedoms, we can experience blessing in that experience because the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. We can more deeply tap into the fullness of Jesus because of the persecution we're experiencing. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, like, it's like Jesus and Peter are trying to get us to see persecution through a different lens, not the lens of loss or anger or frustration, but rather, or fear or whatever, rather the lens of opportunity. Persecution, look at it through the lens of opportunity, an opportunity for the spirit of God to work more deeply in us as we lean more fully upon him. Our faith will deepen. Our character will become more aligned with the character of Jesus. Our love for him will grow. Persecution can actually help us become more like Jesus. I remember uh, reading an article written by someone who, a Christian from America, who was able to sneak into North Korea and interview some of the Christians there who were being horribly persecuted. And the person writing this article asked these believers, hey, how can we as Christians in America be praying for you? I'll never forget this person's response. They said, look, we're doing fine. We're actually praying for you. You have so much in terms of worldly resources. So we're praying that your hearts don't get blinded by your comforts 
and diminish your love for Jesus. Wow. I mean, think about this. Where is the church growing most rapidly in terms of the world? Where is the church growing most rapidly right now? Not in America. No, it's, it's growing in places like China where there is significant persecution. See, even though none of us want persecution, and I'm not saying we would, should want persecution, none of us want persecution, could it be that persecution actually has a purifying and strengthening impact on our faith, on our commitment to Christ, on our love for him? In, in, in 1 Peter, as Peter is writing to Christians who are experiencing persecution, look at what he says to them. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter is like, don't be surprised when you experience persecution. It's actually a test. It is a test. It's an opportunity for deepening trust in Jesus. I remember as a college student a long time ago, going to this conference in Kansas City, KC84, I think is what it was called, um, a, crusade, a, a campus crusade conference. Anyway, Elizabeth Elliott was speaking at this conference, and she quoted this poem by Amy Carmichael that has stayed with me all these years. Here, here's the poem. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers. Spent, leaned me against a tree to die. And rent by ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar, yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? What if we viewed persecution as an opportunity to follow Jesus more closely. Which leads to the, the fourth response that Jesus urges us to have when experiencing persecution. Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> Seriously, yep, Jesus says it right here. Look again at verse, 13, verse 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. We are to rejoice in our persecution, because there is a great reward awaiting us in heaven. We are to be glad that we have been found worthy to suffer for Jesus, because there is a reward waiting for us in the future. Now, this is the frustrating part of this, because when we're being mistreated, we want justice now. We want the bad guys out now. We, we, we want our reputation vindicated now. We want our job back now. But Jesus says, chill out, chill out. This life here on earth is just a small dot in the scheme of eternity. And one day, Jesus will make all things right. 
and you will receive a reward that is beyond what you could ever imagine. I mean, imagine the impact in our lives if we really believed this. If we fully believed this, we'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Instead of frantically living in fear, we would be filled with a quiet confidence in God and a, a deep abiding joy no matter what is going on around us. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if Christians were the most joy-filled, chill people on the planet? I think that's how God wants it to be. Now, there's one other aspect of this rejoicing thing that I want us to notice. Look at what Paul, Peter says. Look how he describes it. First Peter 4.13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter says, rejoice when you're persecuted because you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. There is a rejoicing that we can experience from knowing that we are sharing in the sufferings of our Savior. He was beaten mocked, ridiculed, and ultimately nailed to a cross for you and me. See, what if we viewed our scars, the insults, the false accusations, the mistreatment, the hostility, what if we viewed those scars not as a punishment, but as a privilege, a love gift to offer to Jesus? I envision this scene in heaven where we get there and we see Jesus with all of his scars and he sees our scars, the hurts and insults we experience because of our faith in him. And we both at the same time say, thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for loving me that much. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us that much. You were mocked, rejected, insulted, shamed, and then nailed to a cross, all because of your love for us. You were pierced for our transgressions. Thank you for enduring persecution for our sake. We love you. We trust you. As we're in an attitude of prayer, I want to invite those of you who are watching, maybe there are some of you watching, you have never placed your trust in Jesus the way I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just believing he died or believing in him placing your trust, giving your allegiance to him, placing your whole life in his hands and receiving his life. It's not an easy road, but it's worth it. He is worth it. So if that's the desire of your heart, would, would you pray with me? I'm just going to pray a prayer. You, you can pray in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I want to give my allegiance to you as my king. 
Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for being persecuted for my sake so that I could experience freedom and life. And I choose to place my trust in you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I now receive your life. Forgive me of my sins and come live in me. Change me through the power of your spirit. I want to follow you. God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in their relationship with you. So Jesus commanded us to regularly remember his scars to be reminded of the gift of his life for us by partaking of the Lord's Supper. So let's do that. Take the bread, which represents Christ's body, who was beaten for us. And let's eat this in remembrance of him. Now take the the wine or the juice, whatever you have there. This represents Jesus' blood, which was shed as he was nailed to a cross. His side was pierced for our transgressions. Drink this in remembrance of him. Now that we've received the Lord's Supper, I want us to take a moment and prayerfully reflect on our own experience of persecution or perhaps our fears or angry, our, ang- our fears or anger about where things are headed right now in our culture. What would it look like to offer those experiences, those fears? that anger, offer that to Jesus. Go ahead and do that. And now, I want to encourage you to say to him in the quiet of your heart, I'm going to have a prayer. Just You can just kind of repeat this quietly in your heart or out loud if you want. Just repeat this prayer. Pray this prayer after me. Here here, here we go. Jesus, my allegiance is given to you. No matter what. My trust is in you. I receive your calm your confidence, your courage, your peace, no matter what happens to me in this life. I rejoice in you and eagerly look forward to that day when I will see you face to face my Lord and my King. In Jesus' name.